from the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts. It's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos season finale brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as we wrap up. 2023. On this episode, there's a surprising amount to talk about, especially since the Argos weren't in the Grey Cup game. We'll do a quick Grey Cup review. We haven't had a chance to go through the Argos that won the CFL awards. We'll give that a quick go through as well. We want to talk about the Chad Kelly concussion story, as well as McLeod Bethel Thompson potentially returning to the CFL. That broke this week. And then there are some transactions to go through. And we want to give you a little bit of a head start in terms of where we're looking looking for free agency. The Argos have a ton of free agents this year. Where would we start? Who absolutely needs to get signed? Plus, we've got our world-famous X's and Argos awards to give away. All that more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, it was it was a great great cup game. I know both you and I were were under the weather for the event, but it didn't at all take away from the enjoyment of it. That was a that that was a spectacular football game. I thought start to finish. Yeah, worthy worthy end. I mean, it was. Uh, I guess it was good to see Montreal win. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, look they 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 echoed the Argos of last year. It was almost an identical kind of run in terms of adding players late and then really showing out in the final and then surprising Winnipeg. Um, you know, they did their bit. Yeah, for sure. It, 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 felt, it felt very much like an Argos Grey Cup in, in a few different ways, but they they deserved it. They played lights out from from the, the day that Toronto clinched the, the first place in the East, September 15th. Like They didn't lose another game after that. And we're the hottest team going in. And that's what we always say with the CFL playoffs is it doesn't really matter all season long. It's who gets hot at the right time. And they got hot at the right time. They were they were on fire by the time we got to uh, uh, to the playoffs. And, and yeah, they they ran over Toronto and then did just enough to get by uh, Winnipeg. I want to talk about that last drive we don't need to rehash the entire game this not being an alouettes or a bombers pod but that last drive i wrote an article if you haven't checked it out yet you should it's on three down nation i went through that last drive from montreal i just i like to get your perspective on it being a defensive guy i found myself sticking up for winnipeg's defensive coordinator richie hall he got uh, as as always happens when you lose in a late score the the defensive coordinator comes under fire and especially so if there is some sort of controversial call. So that last touchdown, the touchdown to Tyson Philpott with 13 seconds left in the game, that one for Montreal, and that was on a cover zero blitz where Richie Hall sent everybody. And I'm not a huge fan of cover zero blitzes, uh, it, it, you know, when the game's on the line. I, I'm not like a, a Greg Williams fan or... Um, uh, or, or Wink Martindale or any of those guys that that just live and die by the blitz. However, in that scenario, they had tried everything else on that drive. And to me, I don't think there was anything else left because I think there were time for there was time for two plays. If that if that what ended up being a touchdown, if that had fallen incomplete, Montreal's still running another play. There's still 13 seconds left and they don't need to stop the clock because it's CFL. The clock can, can wind. That's fine. They can run their guys out there to kick a field goal. Uh, so I, I just think in that scenario, Fajardo was on fire. He was like seven of eight at that point. 
uh, for like 77 yards, a touchdown. He like he he had missed nothing, and they sent three, they sent four, they tried press, they tried zone, they tried man, and nothing was working. Fajardo was just hot, and so Richie Hall took matters into his own hands, sent everybody, and yeah, he lost. But can you imagine, like if if they'd sat back and just sent three? And Fajardo had, had thrown a touchdown pass, which I think he probably would have, or at least if not on that play, the next one, he would be ripped for that. Like, why aren't you going after? Why just sitting back and letting Montreal take the great cup from you? So I like the call as a DC. How do you like that call? Well, I mean, blitzing is, um, you know, people get excited for blitzes, but blitzes are really risky. Um, you know, you usually blitz when your defense cannot get the job done. Um, so now you have to, you have to kind of gamble because you're just playing straight up. You can't, you can't ball with the team that you're balling with. Usually it's one of the reasons why you blitz. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad. I mean, I think, you know, for Jardo had made two really nice passes in that, in that final drive, um, and I think that, uh, you know, that they they really probably felt like um, that they had been figured out, like that they were not getting home with three and four and that Fajardo knew who to look for. And that happens sometimes in the fourth quarter of games is whatever your plan was has been figured out and now you've got a problem. Um you know, so I, I, I don't, I didn't hate the position of the, you know, it's like a good place in the field to call zero. Um, you know, I, I would have loved the, the DBs to be a little bit deeper on that play. Uh, if you're going zero there rather than necessarily, you know, trying to, like, I would prefer baby to come downhill a little bit more. Um, but you know, uh, yeah, I think, look, it was a gamble to get home and, uh, he made a nice throw. I think that's just football. I I can't really kill him for that. I mean, you know, the the loss came earlier when they were still in a football game with Montreal on the final drive. I mean, if you're Winnipeg, you know, you should have felt like that game was put away before that in terms of talent on paper. So I think I think the game being in the lurch in the final drive, uh, it is a very lonely place as defensive coordinator. Uh, I will say that for sure. So I always feel bad for coordinators when they're you know they're taking on water at the end and they just can't seem to to stop the the leaking and uh you know full credit to Fajardo he knew the zero was coming uh he hit his guy and uh, and then he threw a great touchdown throw to to make up for that even after that throw i mean it was i i give more credit to Fajardo than i do saying it being a defensive mistake i i don't think it was a mistake i think it was just football and uh, Philpot as well. Like, wh- what a catch on that as well. Like, it was perfect route, perfect catch, perfect throw, everything. Because uh, Demario Houston recovered nicely. Like, Philpot beat him on such a good route. He, he stemmed inside, got position, faked a jab outside. Because he was the only receiver out there. So Houston had the entire half field on his own. That was it. Like, he was, he was on an island. And he had to watch corners and outs. And so that little jab step... Uh, that that was a, a killer, but he recovered somehow. He just missed getting a hand on the ball by like a couple inches somehow, but it was just a perfectly placed ball. Great route, great catch. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was one of those things. And like you said, point the finger at the Winnipeg offense. They scored once in the second half. If you're looking to point fingers, there are plenty of places. And I'm not saying the defense was perfect. They had their issues. And and I, I don't think 
Coach Hall necessarily called a perfect game, but I think putting the loss on him for that cover zero call no, is misplaced. I mean, right, that, exactly. Like that's just football. You can't complain about that. There's, there's, you know, there are times where you might call a defensive call ridiculous, but I mean that was perfectly legitimate to call for a zero rush there. If you're looking at position of the field and and the previous plays and the success they were having, I mean, I think it's a, a very defendable call. Let's get into those CFL awards. The Argos did extremely well in this. It was so it was just such a painful reminder, though, with the Argos not being in the Grey Cup this week and just seeing them crush everybody in the CFL awards. You're like this man, this was such a good team. And even when watching the game, like there was just there's there's no doubt that Toronto was a better team than both of those teams out there. But it doesn't matter. That's the thing. Like, I think, you know, Winnipeg was a better team last year and Toronto won that that happens. Toronto was was the best team this year, and Montreal crushed them. They deserved every bit of that win, and and you know you look at that game, you're like, yeah, Toronto could be here, but that that's that's football. You got one shot, and they weren't there for the the game that mattered. So, uh, so Montreal deserved it. But yeah, it was it was painful, and watching those those Argos come up on stage to sweep the award show. We'll go through them quickly. So. Uh, most outstanding rookie went to Qantas Stiggers. I love that. Like, I, I didn't think there was any chance Kai Gray was going to win that. He was the West representative. If anything, the, his battle was in the East with Reggie Stubblefield, who had also a great Grey Cup after having a great East final. I think if that vote happens at the end of the season instead of uh, before the playoffs, you end up with a different result because I think Reggie Stubblefield opened a lot of people's eyes. And I don't think Stiggers was amazing. I'm not sure he had the highlights that Stubblefield had, and that may have won over voters. But I think Stiggers absolutely deserved Rookie of the Year. We we called that early in the season, and I'm standing by that. Uh, so really excited to see him win. Uh, is any chance he's he's back next year, JB? Uh, I I don't think so. I can't imagine he doesn't get some NFL camp invites. And, He's so young, right? And some practice squad looks, but you never know. You never know. I mean, you know, I know Peters jumped around, and you know he's a bit older, and but uh, you never know what the NFL thinks. I mean, I you know I certainly don't know what they think. I don't. Neither um, do I. So, so yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I do think it's possible, but probably probably not. Most outstanding special teams player was Javon Leak. Again, I didn't think the I didn't think the competition was really there for him in the end. I, I think Boris Beattie was the best competitor because he was such, uh, you know, he was he was in in such a battle in every facet of special teams. But Javon Leak being one touchdown off a CFL record, I thought uh, made that one really easy. And you know, I was happy to see him, especially after, the, the, especially the way it was almost more for. It was almost more for the Argos special teams unit as a whole to be represented like that. Like that's what it was because it's not Javon Leak up there getting that award. It is, but it's it's the blocking, it's everything else that goes along with it. That's that is a that is a team award as much as there can be a team award. So I was really happy for the guys and for for Mickey Donovan. I thought that uh, was well deserved. Uh, most outstanding offensive lineman, uh, Deshaun Allen won. And again, I'm not sure the right guy was up against him. I think if he'd gone up against Jarrell Broxton, maybe that's closer, but he wasn't even in the, in the running at all. That said, Allen was without question, the best offensive lineman. And now he's a name. Now he's a guy that people have known about. One of my worries with him early on was that he was just sort of quietly went about his job. 
it was great to get the backing. Like we've been saying it for a couple of years, but it was great to get the backing of PFF who came in there and is like, yeah, Alan's in a, Alan's in a different world here because that's what we had been seeing. That was, that was the eye test. And to get a little bit of validation there, I thought was, was huge. Um, and it was great to see, you know, he's such, he, he's such a, a character and a great guy and deserve that, um, that award. So yeah, I was thrilled to see Alan pick that up. Most outstanding defensive player was the one the Argos did not win. Uh, they also didn't win most outstanding Canadian, but they didn't have a nomination there. At Darius Pickett was the Argos nomination for most outstanding defensive player. Matthew Betts won it. He had a billion sacks. JB, where do you stand on, on a Darius Pickett's loss? <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, with due respect to uh, Monsieur Betts, um, I just, you know, I just don't think there's, you know, I think it, it, it's tough to beat a Canadian when they're competing in a non-Canadian role. Uh, people love sacks the way they love interceptions. Um, you know, I, I think there's no comparison in terms of what Pickett does on the football field and the, the, the multitude of jobs that he's given on the defense to do. Uh, far exceeds uh, Betts and his combo sacks. But, uh, you know, who am I to begrudge some Canadian guy on the West Coast getting a bunch of sacks? And it sort of goes, but it does actually uh, give our rule a bit of a problem. Like our rule is, well, would you trade this player for this player? And I think actually, I think even as much as Adarius Pickett you, is one you of the... Would trade, you would trade Pickett for Betts? I wouldn't, but I think there's a conversation because Betts is Canadian, but that's where it makes it a bit no. unfair, yeah, right? Because no. you've got to have a, not just a Canadian starter at defensive end, but a an elite Canadian starter at defensive end. Like one, he is, Matthew Betts, regardless of what you think of sacks and where they come from and what their value is, he is one of the best defensive ends in the league. There's no question about that. And so to have that as a Canadian spot, it is really valuable. And so I wouldn't personally make that deal because I think Pickett is, I think I think he's among the best defensive players in the league without question every year. And so for me, it's not worth it. But I think there's a conversation because Betts is Canadian. If he's not, it's it's easy. It's Pickett well, for sure. I mean, it's a career year for Betts too, right? I mean, is he ever going to get to those numbers again? You know, probably not. The odds so are no, but but that, he's but he's good that's though. Where he's to a good me, player. Yeah, he is good, but is you know, I don't know. I to me, it's like a, you know, a guy's you know hits fifty home runs one season. You're like, okay, and they get his flowers, but then we'll all move on with acknowledging who the better player was. And then most outstanding player, Chad Kelly over Brady Oliveira. I didn't think Chad was going to win that. I really honestly thought Brady Oliveira would win. And I understand why people would vote for Oliveira. I think he had an outstanding season, but I like him more for his ability to, to pass protect. I, I'm not a big believer in in a, a huge amount of running back yardage being attributed to running backs. Some of it is. And I think Oliveira is among the best running backs in the league. Uh, but the value of that to me is is not the same as it's nowhere close and so again again to an argument well what does most outstanding mean it's not valuable that's different but to me this was this was easily chad kelly um we yeah, said I mean, that from the credit, start credit to the voters i thought the well i guess you know they only had room for one canadian narrative in the award so bets bets took that title and uh and they went with quarterback over running back 
Yeah, and I, I think that's I think that was the right call. Coach of the year was Ryan Dinwiddie, and uh, you know his his speech like he he didn't seem that interested in it. And I don't think he meant it in a disrespectful way, but you could just tell seeing him, he was feeling, I think what we were feeling as the award show was going on. I'd probably look at this talent. He's like, like, this is not the award I wanted this year. Like we, we should have been, we should have been holding up that great cup. And uh, yeah, it was on his face. Uh, But, but he, I think you have to, and I, I hope he will. I hope he looks, is able to look back at this and recognize what a great job he and his staff did because regardless of how it ended, he has been deserving of conversation for, well, since he arrived in Toronto, since he became a head coach. It's only his third season as a head coach. All three seasons, he won the division. Once he won a Grey Cup, twice he got to the East Final. That's, he's got an outstanding record, uh, absolutely deserving of this with a historic season. He's now in the record books, tied with uh, the unfortunate Edmonton team from 1989, who also shares the distinction of being 16-2 and with the best record, but not advancing to the Grey Cup. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and that's a team that, you know, very similarly had a, had a most outstanding player in Tracy Ham, uh, I believe one coach of the year as well. And so, um, unfortunate path to follow, but I think Dinwiddie will be able to at some point look back on this and recognize that, man, this was an outstanding season and worthy of his Coach of the Year win. Let's uh, move into uh, some of the other conversations that we've got to uh, address here. The Chad Kelly concussion story is a really interesting one to me. Um, I, I think before we talk about anything else, I think it is really important that listeners, viewers understand it is critical that any football player that says they have a concussion is believed and listened to. That is extremely important. Football players typically don't volunteer that. It's not something that a lot of football players, especially at the pro level, want people knowing, want out there. Concussions are... there's, there's not much, there's not much worse that that can happen to you in terms of uh, your future and the way that you're regarded by organizations and stuff. And if you've got a player coming forward in a culture where concussions are hidden, and despite the encouragement of what players are, are taught and what they know, they hide symptoms, they don't report. And to have someone come forward and say, uh, I, I had a, I, I got a concussion. You've got to take that uh, as as truth. I think that's really important. Now, um, it sound I know the whole thing sounded weird. Everything about it was weird. The timing of it was weird. The fact that Coach Dinwiddie didn't found out from Coach Dinwiddie found out from his wife who had read it on on Three Down Nation, and and Three Down was the were the guys that that broke that story. It was um, the uh, uh, Hodge and and JC and, and Dunk uh, out at the Grey Cup break that story. Uh, it was their interview they were doing where he talked about this. It all sounds so weird, but it it explains a lot. And I think, like I said, it's you. I don't think you can doubt a player that comes forward and says that. Are you on the same page with me, JB? Um, I I don't know where where you're going with it, like. Well, I think there are a lot. So what I'm saying is there are a lot of people that are saying Chad Kelly didn't have a concussion. He's making that up to explain a bad game. Oh, no, that's, of course, idiotic. Yeah, and that's but it's it's not just idiotic. It's a terrible it's a terrible mentality to have. 
you can't, it's just such a dangerous thing to get into where you're like, you say, yeah, I can catch that. I don't believe you because that's not going to incentivize people to come forward in the future. And that's, that's a, that's a dangerous precedent. We want to encourage players to come forward with head injuries and with yeah, symptoms and report. It's, it's a more complicated conversation at the professional level. Um, you know, because if you're a professional player, you know, just talking generally, if you're a professional player and you feel off, um, you know, should you tell your coaches and report it? Yes, but that, of course, will immediately rule you out for the game. So you're not sure. Like maybe, maybe I don't feel off, right? Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's just the adrenaline. Maybe you know, you're. It, it's it's tr- it's a tricky situation. I know for a player because you can't unring that bell. So if you feel like there's something kind of through making you um, feel unbalanced. You're not sure what it is. And then in retrospect, you know, you think about the next day and now the symptoms are really clear and you have a headache or you have the other sort of more more uh, known concussion symptoms. Then, you know, it is what it is. You know, I think I think that that is for sure something that that would be uh, a, a challenge for a professional athlete in that you at the time you didn't really recognize the symptoms but after it's over and then the next day when they worsened you clearly could recognize what happened and there's certainly lots of evidence to support that there was a player who who had you know problems on the field like we talked about like there was clearly something very very wrong and you know it didn't have the traditional concussion symptoms of you know dizziness or unable to stand and that sort of thing but there are a you know a multitude of symptoms so i think anybody who's suggesting that this is convenient i don't think you know chad kelly talking about playing with a concussion is convenient to anybody i think it's i think it's courageous that he's willing to to talk about that uh that he felt you know that he probably you know in retrospect was concussed and is willing to to talk about that and and that's something that every football player should be able to talk about it shouldn't shouldn't be a secret um you know i think it was just people are still living in 1987 in a lot of ways and uh i think that's too bad for for everybody but uh you know it may, it makes sense to me i think there's a lot to support it and you know, I, you know, I, there's not much you can do after the fact other than, you know, just you have to uh, hope that players will will share symptoms during the game. But sometimes symptoms aren't that clear and there's nothing you can do. It's just just how it goes down. And sometimes there are none. Sometimes it's days later and you actually start experiencing symptoms. And that it actually made me wonder because I've gone back through that game. I wanted to find, you know, where was the play? What am I missing? And there were a couple of plays that I thought, you know, that that could have been it. Uh, there's the, the one that really stands out is uh, it was actually the the pick to Sankey, although I think that, you know, may have been earlier than that. But uh, but yeah, he comes down really hard. Uh, he gets hit by uh, Mustafa Johnson and uh, hits his head on the turf. But there were a few plays uh, in the first half where it could have happened. But it, it's also possible that it wasn't even that game, that it was earlier uh, in the week. You know, there's so many different things. Concussions are weird. Everyone's different. Everyone responds differently to concussions. But even that same person, each concussion with them is different. We know so little about it. And I think I think football leagues like to sort of pretend they've got a handle on this and like, well, we know what to do. We don't know how to evaluate concussions, how to treat them. They really don't. There's, there's not much 
evidence to suggest that there are well, accurate concussion tests or anything well, like that. There is no test, right? Like a test doesn't exist. So that when they talk about that, you know, given a concussion test, I mean, you can check for symptoms um, and you can check for signs. Um, and if you have those, you can suggest that there is likely a concussion, but there's certainly no blood test or eye test or 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 any sort of test that allows you to rule out a concussion and it puts the player in a terrible position because if they go <laughs> excuse me if they go to a coach and they say that they you know they they feel like they're they're feeling off and then you know okay now they're ruled out and now fans are you know yelling about why would they go to a coach why would they not tough it out why would they not do this do that if you don't say anything and you play, but you're only playing with, you know, sort of 30% of your capability, well, then you run into other problems, right? So it's it's a it's a no-win situation for, for the player when they're in a concussed situation. And I'm glad, you know, that uh, that Chad told everybody what, what it was and, and, you know, people are able to understand uh, the reason behind, uh, behind the performance. It seems very logical to me. And I don't think there's blame to go around anywhere. I don't think I don't blame the concussion spotter. I don't because I, you know, you go back and I I still don't know where it is. So it's not like they missed some sort of huge hit to the helmet. And like, why didn't why didn't he get checked? Right. Like when you watch on TV, there's certainly no outward um, obvious, you know, um, sign, you know, whether it's like holding the head or slow to get off the ground. But. But that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. I agree with you. I think it's just a, a tough scenario and a tough situation. And, uh, you know, the more the more honesty we have about it, the better. And, you know, I think that's all there is to it. I don't think there's any excuses being made. It's just this is what went down. And, you know, sometimes that's what happens and uh, you lose a game. Sticking with quarterbacks, McLeod Bethel Thompson maybe returning to the CFL. That was that was a story that was floating around this week at uh, Grey Cup. Uh, what do you think about this? There's a couple options. Certainly there are teams like McLeod Bethel Thompson. We know he's an excellent CFL quarterback. Uh, we had the pleasure of watching him uh, up close and personal. Uh, and we know what he can do. And there are a number of teams unsettled at the quarterback position. I think you can look at Ottawa. You can look at Hamilton. You can look at Saskatchewan for starters. And maybe you can look at Calgary. McLeod Bethel Thompson will be in demand if he decides, you know what, I am going to give it another go. And people say, well, isn't he getting up there in age? He is, but he's the same age as Zach Laris. He's younger, certainly, than Trevor Harris. Uh, so, yeah, he's, what is he, 30, 35, I think? I think Claris yeah. and he are both no, 35. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know where he wants to live, uh, but certainly Hamilton strikes me as a, a pretty good scenario for him if he wants to come and uh, play one more season. I don't want to have to go up against McLeod Bethel Thompson. Well, I'm not in the favor Argos. of it. Like, I'm just saying it's the GTA. I, I can't imagine that he he necessarily wants to go live in Saskatchewan. But, you know, if Coach Mace is there, maybe it's a conversation. And that doesn't look like it's happening either. It looks like the front runners are, aren't going to be uh, from Toronto way at all. Um, which is, yeah, it's it's foolish, I think, on, on Saskatchewan's part. But they're they're all over the map. I have no idea where they're going to go. You've got, like, you know, former kickers coming in. And um, you've got uh, NFL guys that are in the mix. And, and then all the usual suspects. But I, I don't know where they're going to go with that. But it doesn't sound like, unless they've kept it really quiet, it doesn't sound like well, it's going to be Coach Mace. Well, once they kept their or, general manager, I was like, okay, 
yeah <laughs> i know you know yeah like, that's oh, okay well i guess we'll i guess we'll see you in three years from now when you you really start to rebuild it's like well, we want to rebuild the house but only the left side <laughs> okay that's a yeah. good idea that'll, that'll, that's that'll but we'll, we'll see what the roster looks like it's you know the cfl is so weird like go back to montreal when it like we you had Montreal eighth in your first power ranking. I had them ninth in my first power ranking out of nine, and they just won the Grey Cup. So teams can turn around quickly, but I don't like the direction that Saskatchewan's heading in right now. And and we were both fairly high on Saskatchewan coming into this year, but they just felt like everything went wrong. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know if I would go into that situation. Although again, it'd be it'd be a different feel. Like you're you can be the king. In Saskatchewan, if you're playing good football at quarterback for the Rough Riders, uh, you, you don't get much higher in the CFL in terms of the way you're appreciated. But I don't, I don't know. I'm with you. I think, I think I would see Hamilton or perhaps Ottawa over Saskatchewan, Calgary. But I don't know. I'm excited to see him. I hope he, I hope he does come back to the CFL. I would like to see Beltha Thompson um, do it all over again. So, um, yeah, hoping, but. Also not looking forward to the Argos having to play him five times a season. So we'll see. And continuing with the theme of uh, Argos or former Argos quarterbacks, uh, Ben Holmes assigned with the Vienna Vikings. We remember Ben Holmes from from the preseason, of course, last year as well. I really like Ben Holmes as a player. I was hoping he would get another shot. His his preseason was so rough in Toronto this year. It just didn't, nothing went right for him. He's a better quarterback than that looked. And he is, he outclasses the Vienna Vikings. There's no question, but he just needs to play and maybe get another chance down the road. But uh, not a story we need to spend a lot of time on, but we're getting into transactions now. I just thought that was cool. JC Abbott uh, passed that one on to me, and I thought, yeah, I got I to gotta talk about that and bring that up because uh, he was always really good with me. Uh, re-signings and signings. So let's talk about some of the re-signings first. We're going to get into some free agents a little bit later. The Argos with a, a ton, like when you include the practice squad guys that all need to be resigned, they're like 41 or 42 free agents Gosh. out there. That's it's a it's a problem, but they're not on their own. There are a lot of teams with huge free agent lists this year. Uh, you don't have to look that far to find teams in similar predicaments, but good to see some of the resignings start. Uh, and so guys that were resigned, so fullback Spencer Nickel, uh, receivers, BJ Bird and Aaron Parker, uh, Brandon Knoll, the offensive lineman, and then also uh, two players uh, from this year's draft, uh, Anthony Vandal and uh, Ify Anyamenem, uh, both back, uh, linebacker Brandon Murphy, uh, who was, remember, he was injured. He was drafted this year. Was he a sixth-round pick, I think, this year uh, out of Western, but he was injured, and so we knew this year would be a rehab year, but he's been uh, brought back. So that's a good start. And they brought in two new guys as well, Jordan Bird and Nelson Jordan. Jordan Bird I'm kind of interested in. This this one intrigues me. So he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers most recently, played running back in college, but at 170 pounds was too small to be an NFL running back, tried out receiver there. He's a kick return specialist, but I think in the CFL, you go back to that sort of slash role. You start looking at, okay, receiver, running back combo as a returner. I like getting him in the building and I think of him, they're built very differently, even though they're both undersized. They're very different sort of undersized. Uh, Jordan Bird's taller and lighter than, than Deontay McMahon, but Deontay McMahon is a great complement to a power back. 
And I think you bring in Jordan Bird, he might be a similar kind of guy. So I'm excited about that signing. Nelson Jordan, the defensive lineman, um, I don't I don't get enough out of it yet. I've only seen just a little bit of film and there's nothing that really jumped out to me. But it's the season. Start signing guys. And, you know, by the time we get to camp, we're going to have 100 guys uh, that are on the, the Argos roster. And, yeah, it starts now with, with assigning these guys and bringing these other guys back. So, um, yeah, it begins. All right, JB, into free agents. I want to kind of go through this list because I don't know if Argos fans understand how how many players are are up, uh, whose contracts are up. It's a it's a bigger problem on defense than offense, but it's a problem. So let's go through it. Quarterbacks, nobody. Everybody's under contract. Everybody can return. They can bring back Kelly, Dukes, Scott, if they wish. Uh, and I think we'll see all three of those guys in camp. Uh, running backs, things start to get a bit more interesting. We know Andrew Harris is up, but he is he's going to be retiring. We know that he's got a job lined up for next year out on uh, Vancouver Island. A.J. Olette is up. And that one is going to be big because he's going to be expensive because he's really good. And the Argos are going to have to make a very tough decision on that. I would love to see him back. We'll get into more detail on that a bit later. Javon Leak also, uh, his contract's up too. Uh, and and going back to the bringing in, um, bringing in Bird, maybe that's a bit of an insurance policy there too. For receivers, uh, Dejan Brissett, Demonte Coxie, Tommy Neald, Richard Sandani, Cam Phillips. That's a bunch of big names at receiver. Offensive line, not the starters, except for Darius Siraco, uh, but Dylan Giffen joining him, Shane Richards, uh, Trevion Tate, Darius Bladek. Uh, their contracts are all up. Now over to the defensive side of the ball. Issues. Dwayne Hendricks, Sean Oakman, Thomas Costigan, Brandon Barlow on the defensive line. That is a, that's a chunk. Linebacker, even bigger issues. Jack Kassar, Trevor Hoyt, Jonathan Jones, Winton McManus, Adarius Pickett, Enoch Mwamba. I'm going off three down nations list because they've got the best compiled uh, list of this. Theirs is better than my own individual Argo tracking. Uh, So uh, I would go there to look. I actually think Jordan Williams is up too, but I don't know that for sure. I got to confirm that. But basically, every linebacker that that the the Argonauts have is is up. Uh, in the defensive backfield, it's not as bad, but still some huge pieces: Robertson, Daniel, Jamal Peters, Jamie Harry, Maurice Carnell, Robert Priester, and then Boris Beatty as a specialist. JB, that is a list. And let's not forget to add in all of the practice squad players, of course. That's, you know, Jeremiah Hedell and uh, uh, Falola, Eric Sutton, Benji Franklin, all those guys as well. Uh, are you worried right now that the Argos only have four guys on their current roster? Obviously, I'm exaggerating. Um, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, <clears throat> look, this is very CFL-y. I mean, you know, CFL does have big roster turnover. Um, so it's, it's not, I don't think it's an emergency. Um, but there are going to be choices to be made and there are going to be guys that are going to get offered uh, big money from other teams. So yeah, it, it is, it is concerning that, that there won't be with that. We're not bringing the band back because, you know, it it just isn't possible. A lot of those guys are are gonna be expensive, and uh, you know they'll do a great job of identifying 
who's kicking around on other teams to try and bring in. But yeah, it is unfortunate because you don't feel like any change is needed. You really feel like you'd love to bring the band back for one more year. I mean, maybe, maybe they can convince a few more than normal to, uh, to give it one more shot. Maybe it's, it's going to be tough because like all those guys are going to be so expensive because that's what the problem with playing on a good team yeah. is that oh, like yeah. this happens, right? Like you get, you get picked apart because everybody looks even better than they are. These are good players. They looked even better than they were because they're surrounded by other great players. And so people are going to probably pay more than everybody's worth, but I don't blame the, the well, players. I mean, should absolutely get that money. They should go take the money, whatever that's being offered. Credit to the organization. They certainly have not, in any way, shown that money is a um, you know uh, something that's going to prevent them from putting together the best team. Yeah. So you know, I'm I'm confident that they will make decisions on what they think will be best for the team, and that they're not going to be tied by by a budget. They certainly haven't shown that, and so I I would have no reason to believe that. Let's take a look at O and D here and highlight three guys that we think need to be absolute number one priorities. So I'll start on the offensive side of the ball. The three guys that stand out to me when I look at that list, number one, I, I, I think, and I'll, I'll even put these in order. I, I think number one, which is so weird to me, uh, I think it is Darius Sirocco. I think like Darius had such a good season this year. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't even think he was going to be a starter at the beginning of the year. I had him as a backup center because I had Nicastro at center and I had Hunter and Bladek on either side of guard. But with Bladek's injury, Nicastro was forced to, to play guard and he excelled there. He was fantastic at guard. We, we knew he could be, but I thought Darius Soraco outplayed Nicastro at center too. I, I wasn't, I thought, you know, Nicastro's snaps were a little bit of an issue as well. And he's just playing such outstanding guard that to me, I, I think you got to, you want to bring that line back intact. You know, you've got Allen back and Cage back and Hunter and Nicastro. If they can bring back Darius Soraco, he's going to cost a lot more than he did this year because he's an all-star and that's going to be tough. But to me, that is the number one priority on offense. Number two, DeMonte Coxie. He was so clutch this season. He and Chad Kelly obviously have a really good rapport together. When he, Chad Kelly needed someone to make a play, Coxie stepped up. And to see him out there as a free agent, uh, that scares me because those guys aren't necessarily easy to find. Guys that your quarterback is going to immediately pick up and sort of say, yeah, we've you know, we've got it. We have a sense for each other. He and Chad Kelly, knowing Chad Kelly is going to be your quarterback, I think you've got to find a way to bring back Coxie. And then my third guy is A.J. Olette. And I feel weird with this because I'm not typically a running backs guy. I think A.J. is a must bring back for a couple of reasons. And none have anything to do with him being able to run the football, despite the fact that he's one of the best at doing so. He's a great pass protector. Pass protection is huge in a pass-first offense, which every CFL offense is, but especially with Chad Kelly back there, you need A.J. Olette in his pass protection. Number two, the energy that he brings and the way he's able to fire up guys, he affects the team in a way that is sort of hard to quantify. And while I'm not a fan of paying running backs big money, uh, because I, I think, yeah, just analytics-wise, I don't think that makes sense to me. He's going to get a lot of money somewhere and he should take the most money. He should take whatever, whoever's offering the most. He should do that. And I, I don't think 
that will be Toronto. But I think that would be a huge loss uh, if he goes elsewhere. I hope he doesn't. Uh, I would love to see him here for another season. But uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not 100% convinced that uh, we'll see AJ Olette back here next year. JB, any thought on my three guys or uh, or, or tough to say? Um, no, I think those are all really good choices. Um, in my mind, I see if McLeod comes back, is there a Curly Gittens trade? Um, you know, I thought that kind of floated around when you're talking about Coxie. No, I, I think all three are 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 crucial uh crucial sign i mean i think everybody we're going to talk about is crucial i mean i think that unlike last year where there were probably kind of more boutique conversations i think you're talking about you know uh load supporting walls here pillars so i think yeah i I agree with you um i think all three of those guys have to come back what are you thinking for the defensive side of the ball well i think it's even more drastic on defense to be honest it's it's not that hard. It certainly isn't hard to come up with three, um, you know, because I, I could come up with eight uh, on the defensive side that we really want. Um, you know, if you look defensively, uh, I think that you would you would offer McManus. My number one guy is I want to bring back is McManus. I think uh, you want to offer him a big deal um, and, you know, really hope that he wants to put it together here. Uh, he, you know, he he is approaching the 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 end of his career, but um, you know, I think if you were to offer him a really great one year deal, um, you know, depending on what he's looking for, I think that that's that's a potential thing there, um, where you could say like come back for one more year. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think teams will offer him a lot of money. I'm sure Edmonton will. Um, so that'll be that'll be a tough conversation. So for me, he's number one. I think McManus, you want to sign. He is the heart of that defense. He is the, he is the dog of that defense. He is, you know, he is more than just a superb middle of the field player, especially with Mwamba. I'm sure moving on to, to broadcasting. Um, I really, really want them to sign McManus, but I get where there are conversations about how much money and how much term you want to offer. So hopefully that doesn't get complicated. Um, my my second guy um, I'm looking is right beside him is Pickett. Um, you know, they did not get um, Pickett extended. Um, I'm sure that that they have, you know, I mean, that's a lot to spend on linebacker. But I just don't see how you can let Pickett leave. Um, he was the best defensive player in the league. Uh, you don't have somebody who can come in and do that. I think you, I think you offer him a couple of years, um, and uh, you know it's a lot to spend at linebacker. But I, I really hope that they do, and then maybe you can make some savings a couple other places if you have to. Um, but I would really hope that Pickett is uh is a priority because teams are definitely going to offer him a lot of money and a lot of term and yeah i i really hope that they can bring Pickett back and then my third guy uh again lots of great defensive linemen um you know i i thought uh cost again was amazing all season barlow was fantastic oakman uh i i really do hope that they can get not a hometown discount but maybe like a I'd like to stay in Toronto deal with Oakman. Um, but if I had to pick the one I really want is Hendricks. 
I think that they can get Hendricks for a decent price because there will be teams offering him money, but I, I don't think he's going to get offered picket money, you know, because I think that teams still know that their fans are like, what Hendricks, who, how much, you know, I think it's, it's a tougher sell for a GM to sell somebody who is not um, sort of a flashy defensive lineman. So I, I think they kind of get a break there with Hendricks. Uh, and they can get him for like a, a good price. So that's those are my three. If they can come back with those three, I can I can live with whatever else they have to do to make tough decisions. I think you're spot on. And on Hendricks, I think that, that's an astute comment. That's absolutely right because I think I think every GM in the league knows the value of Hendricks, but the fan bases don't. Toronto is the only fan base that knows how valuable Hendricks is because he's just not. It's not that kind of player. We talked before about. Sacks being misleading, everything else. The stuff Hendricks does doesn't get noticed by most fans in the league. Argos fans know. Maybe Montreal comes looking for him. That would be my only concern. Yeah, I don't know what the contract status is of their interior. Like they had a great, they had a great interior, obviously. But um, yeah, that uh, I guess it would be an East team that that got that saw what a disruptor he was. But man, he's a good player, and I do think he's going to be a steal. Uh, even though he's gonna he's gonna get paid, there's no question. But but yeah, he should probably get more than he's going to end up getting just because he's he's a harder sell to the fans, like like you said. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's just uh, it's the nature of his style of play. It's it's like that sometimes. And then uh, Pickett McManus. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be multi years for McManus. He's going to be turning 30 midseason next year. Uh, Pickett's a couple years younger. I think I think he turns 20, 27. He turns 28 next year. Um, and so. But I think both those guys have a couple of years left, and I think I think you need them. There's nobody, especially I was going to say, especially Pickett. But honestly, I, I don't. There's not a good replacement for McManus. He's no. those guys are both among the best players in in the league defensively. I don't know who you replace McManus with. I don't think there is anyone you replace Pickett with. So I think those two guys are they're they're. I think you have them in the right order as well. If there's any debate, it's maybe putting Pickett first, just because. Yeah, you have. I think you just have to sign those guys. Yeah, I don't know. That's tough. So those are your priorities. Uh, Get to it, uh, Argos front office. Uh, We we want uh, we want all these guys by Christmas. Yeah, Uh, wasn't wasn't very complicated (laughs) to pick the best three. I will I will humbly suggest. JB, it's time for our X's and Argos awards that I know everyone's been looking forward to all year long. We've got to. A Certainly. slightly different format. Uh, no, nobody was looking forward to this, but um, but we do it every year, and we'll do it again. Um, a slightly different format this year. This year, we've decided to do nomination style. So, JB, you have nominations that I'm not aware of, and I have some nominations here for for each of our awards that we decided on, and some of them are different, some of them are the same. Let's go through it. So, player most in need of a nickname, JB, who do you have? Um... Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I do love, I do love my nicknames, um, but I, I, I went with Pierce. I think that I think Mason Pierce um, has uh, is going to be a big player for the Argos next year, and I think he he deserves a nickname to go with, like kind of that increased heat he got. Yeah, I agree. I, and and being like Colorado School of Mines, like there's so many possibilities you can go there. Um, you know, mining themed nicknames. I think there's some good ones. Uh, I went with uh, Dijon Allen. 
because I think he's, he just sort of quietly goes about his job. I feel like a nickname might, you know, amp up his uh, and recognition. And never get nicknames. I know. I, that's why I like it. Like, I want something. And, you know, he was uh, a Hawaii warrior, right? So maybe there's something you can incorporate in there. I don't know. Something about uh, warriors or rainbows or I, I don't know. Um, Hawaiian. I, I don't know. But there's a potential there. But if we have to make a call between those two, I think your suggestion is better I will give you Mason Pierce for most in need of a nickname. So that is our award right. winner. And then over the offseason, I'll see what I can come up with. Yeah, you come up with something good because I, I we were we still don't really have it for Javon Leak. We tried. And I know some of yours are good. CN Power, that's great. Uh was, I, look, I I I feel like the, the Leak Shore Express did not get the the time it needed to breathe. The Lakeshore Express. Well, first of all, because it's Lakeshore Boulevard, but yeah, I get the train. I don't know. Anyway, um, what was your what was your AJO let nickname? Oh, Juggernaut, right? Yeah, that, yeah. that works well too. Yeah, good. All right, most underrated Toronto Argonaut. For this, I went with Dwayne Hendricks. I don't think there's anyone close to him in terms of being underrated because I think he's among the best linemen in the league, and he's certainly not getting that kind of respect league wide. So. That was an easy one for me. Where'd you go for that award? Yeah, I think you and I both talked about that a lot. He's certainly not the most underrated on the uh, on the Exos and Argos podcast. Um, I, I didn't go Hendricks because I felt like we had sort of said that so many times. Um, I went McFadden. I can see it. I like McFadden a you lot. Know, I, th- I thought he played uh, fantastic. I thought he was physical. I thought he was ball hawking. Um, I thought he. I thought he played just tremendously and did not get much pub and wasn't really recognized league-wide as as a key uh, defensive back and even even among Argo fans I don't think necessarily he'd be one of the first defensive backs you might mention I thought I thought McFadden needed um, a a little more recognition for how valuable he was to the defense I would like to see one more year of that from McFadden. We've seen it from Allen, or sorry, from uh, Hendricks for several years now. And I think that's why we probably have to give him the nod on this one yeah, because well, it's been a few years in a row. And I know, like, I appreciate you uh, thinking outside the box there. But yeah, I think Dwayne Hendricks wins the award for most underrated Argo. Future All Star for me. Easy. Mason Pierce. He would have been an all-star had he played two or three more games. He was playing lights out football from the moment he took over for the injured halfbacks. And uh, yeah, a couple more games under his belt. Uh, He's just going to get better and better and better. So that's my nominee. Where are you going for future all-star? I think, well, I'm not to get too grim, but I think if if one of those linebackers leaves or McManus leaves, I think uh, Jonathan Jones um becomes a starter and i think he he's a potential all-star he is uh, i don't mind that uh i i think they're uh, i don't know i i think that's i, I think he is i, I, think I mean he's, he's got not a replacement level. and he's not the same player but he is very very good and i think um given full-time starter reps i think i think he might really show people the playmaker, as Hoagie calls him, the playmaker, Jonathan Jones. Uh, yeah. I, th- I think we got to go with Mason Pierce there just because he has had those uh, those starts and has put up those numbers and, and really did get league awareness 
uh, in doing so. Like people know who Mason Pierce is. Uh, I think the school helps, but he made some real highlight, real plays. So I, I could see him. I could see him being an All Star next season. So we will give the future All Star award to Mason Pierce. Uh, clutch award. Who is your guy for the clutch award? Um, it could have been a couple of different guys, but I thought for me, Oakman, I thought all season when they absolutely needed a sack or they absolutely needed a stand or things were sort of starting to shift against them. Uh, Oakman came up huge with the big play. I thought, I thought that was, you know, he wasn't somebody who necessarily was sort of, you know, like he would, he would flash on and off. But when they needed a big play, I, you know, I really hope they're able to keep him too because I felt that he he had a real knack for getting a sack when they needed it. There's no one else in the league like Oakman. You notice that? Like, I'm not saying he's the best in the league, but there's no one else like him. Like, he's no, a my, pretty well, different interior player. <laughs> my, fa- my father, who unfortunately I'm currently investigating buying a uh, Alouette's mock CFL Grey Cup for, as he is an Alouette's fan, Um Complained to me during the East Final that Oakman was too big to play in the CFL. <laughs> what, does that, what does that mean? Well, he was very large. He was very yeah, big. He felt he was too big. So I was like, well, okay, that's fair. Yeah, no, he's he's very large. I don't know about too large to play in the CFL, but yes, he's a very big. But he's just he's different. But he's got like he's got no fat on him, right? Like he's he's a huge man. He's over three hundred pounds, six nine, and he's like chiseled, which just doesn't happen to a lot of human beings. So he's just different, and he's got like this burst on the inside, but he's also got power and size, mass. So yeah, he's a he's a, he's he's made some centers look just like terrible. So I, I get that uh, for your clutch award. Mine's DeMonte Coxie. And the reason I'm nominating him is that both those wins in Montreal, which were tough fought wins, two of the hardest games that Toronto had to play all season long in Montreal, Coxie, when a play needed to be made, one hand or two, he found a way to make it. And so that's my nomination. I'm going to need you to break this tie here. Uh, who should this award go to between Coxie and CN Power? Well... Hmm. I, I see that my uh, my other ones were overruled, but I I will give you Coxie because um, I thought he he definitely had some huge um, final drive catches and touchdowns. So I think I think he just edges out Oakman. And that that one and the one headed catch in the end zone to win the game is like that. That's. That's the play of the year. That's the CFL play of the, of the regular season. So um, I, I, I have a trouble going up against going against him. Uh, the biggest jump award. So Argo that made the biggest jump for me was a guy we've already talked about, Tavares McFadden, because he wasn't really a guy we were thinking about too much once Jamal Peters came back. We were thinking about him when Peters wasn't there. We're thinking we think it'd be McFadden. Who else would, would join him? And then Stiggers stepped up and played well. But then when Peters came back, we're like, oh, okay, we, we don't have to think about McFadden anymore. Now it's Stiggers and, and Peters. McFadden came back into the field when the halfbacks got hurt. He was even better as a halfback than he was as a corner. And he was already a good corner. But he went from like a ball hawk, which we'd always known. Like that's what at Florida State all his, throughout his career. That's what he was. He was sort of I don't know. I don't want to insult him by saying a finesse guy, but he was he was sort of looked like a finesse guy to me, despite his size and, and weight. 
And he's great hands, great at picking the ball off. When he went to halfback, he was a menace. Like he was physical, just crushed players. Every game, there was a huge hit where he came flying in and just like absolutely annihilated some some poor receiver. Uh, And that was a level that I hadn't seen from him previously. So that's my biggest jump award winner nominee. Uh, Who are you nominating? Uh, Yeah, I thought he he did well. For me, it's Adam Aboye. I thought that when he got his shot at being the running back in those sort of late in those September games, um, he really impressed me. I thought he looked light and fast. Uh, I thought when he was given the chance to be the running back, he looked like he could handle that um, as the backup. And, um, you know, he's always been a great special teamer, but you never really know. And I thought this year he made a big jump. I thought he went from being a special teamer to a guy who's on a progression to be a starter. I agree with everything you said, but I just, again, the sample size is so small. Like he really only got those carries in in a couple games. And so I think we have to go with McFadden there who played the entirety of, of no, the season, I, look, really. No, I'm, I'm on board with McFadden, obviously. I know, so, but, yeah. but I don't want to, I don't want to sell Dan Adaboboy short because he's ready. Dan Adaboboy can be a starting running back in this league. I I, I would like well, to see. Well, I think he'll get. I think he'll be the backup next year. I think he'll. And then when they go two back sets, I think he's going to get more run next year. I really do. Yeah. No. He'll be. He will be a, a factor next year offensively for the Argos. I still want to see. Everyone's obviously working in the offseason. I want to see him continue to work on pass protection. That's one area that I think he can still get get better in. I love him as a ball carrier, though. And um, yeah, I think he's going to be a big part of Toronto's offense next year. Uh, the next two are kind of fun ones. Um, offensive player who could play defense and vice versa. Let's do that one first. Offensive player who could play defense. I'll go first because we're talking about the same guy. I think Adaboboye would be a fantastic linebacker. Adaboboye is so strong. He hits hard. He can tackle. We know that from special teams. And he's fast. I would love to put Adaboboye out there as a linebacker. Um, you know, levels that we've coached at, whether it's uh, high school, semi-pro, we often have guys going both ways. And sometimes it's just for a game or two. You need you need an extra little boost. We in the national championship this year, we actually took uh, one of our defensive linemen and brought him over to offense, took a corner, brought him to offense as well, just because we needed a, a little bit of uh, something different. And uh, so this happens. It doesn't happen a lot in the CFL. You see the occasional uh, coach that'll try it out. But yeah, I would love to see. I, I'm not suggesting the Argos do this. I don't actually think that's a good idea in professional football. But I think Adaboboy would make a fantastic linebacker. Who's your guy, JB? Uh, well, it's not often that an offensive guy can be brought over, but uh, I think Ungerer would make a really nice little corner. Uh, I think that he is uh, smart, knows the routes, twitchy. Uh, fearless would be a missile in the air uh when it came to to tackling uh you know i think he he is a he is a football player all day that's who he is and i think that he if he were thrown into to be an emergency corner i think that he would uh he would hold his own i don't have his numbers up like i i don't i don't think he has got a great top speed like i don't think his 40 time was was great but i remember his three cone being like like six eight or something like that and i, I love that for a corner yeah like and the cover, aggression covered two quarter <laughs> yeah yeah that, that's the thing right like you're you're not i don't want him burning down the field with uh with your no, no, no. your uh x receiver but you know i i like i like that that pick a lot that's good 
let's go to the other side. Defensive player who could play offense, and it takes a it takes a pretty special kind of pretty special kind of defensive player to play offense. JB, um, <laughs> I'm going to go with Darius Pickett. <laughs> we often send our special players over to offense. Darius Pickett is uh, such a talented guy. He got he, he unfortunately got. Um, a lot of criticism, sort of in joke, in jest, because everyone knows how valuable he was, but uh, didn't have the the picks that uh, we thought pick six might. He did everything else, just didn't have the picks there. He has hands, though. I promise you he's got hands. I know he dropped a couple picks. Uh, I'd love to see him out there. I think he's one of those slash guys. I think you could have him carrying the ball to the backfield. I'd love to see him on jets. I think he, he can be a gifted receiver despite... Uh, the issues we we apparently saw during the season. And Darius Pickett is my uh, sort of gadget play guy on offense. Uh, who are you going with? Uh, well, I, I do think Peters could be a red zone target. I think he's got he's got good size to him. He's got good hands. He does and, have good hands. You know, you could put him in the mix. But for me, I'd love to see Hendricks play some offensive line uh, as an emergency uh, as an emergency guy. You know, an emergency uh, guard. Uh, I think he would. Uh, I think he would hold his own. I don't know if he's got the size. Like he's like he's like two seventy or something. Yeah, um, I'd have to I see him as like to, a, a tight end. He'd have to bulk up a little. Yeah, no, that's like that's interesting. Strong, I like your Peters one better. Guy. I mean, you, you, I'd love to see him in one on ones. I would. He's, I would love to strong. see him in one on ones. He's strong. He would think. He would tell you he could do it. Uh, oh, I know. I think all these guys gonna, would, though. That's the yeah, thing. They all. No, think I agree. They can I would play. love to. See, I would love to see him uh, in one on ones. I would love to see that. I know coaches won't often do it, but I would love to see the defensive line flip and 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 protect the quarterback. But I think Hendricks is super smart. He is um, a terrific football player. I think that if you needed him to be an emergency tackle, um, you know, I think that he could. I think he could do it. I think he's got the footwork. And the the ability to understand what was going down, um, yeah, he's a little light, uh, but uh, that's okay. I, I like your Peters pick better. I think Peters told me he played receiver in high school. I think he's. I, I seem to remember that from last year. Maybe it was even two years ago. But um, but yeah, I, and I do like his hands a lot. He's got such good length too. But I think that's actually a better choice from you. All right, into our uh, next award. Uh, best Haggerty. Uh, this was tough last year. Josh Haggerty took it. Uh, the the safety winning it over the punter, uh, and it was a it was a tight competition last year. For me, this year it's a little bit unfair because Josh Haggerty uh, spent so much of the season injured. I know John Haggerty also went through some injuries. Was able to come back. I think all in all, Josh won it last year. I think we probably got to give it to John this year, just based on on injury time missed, but. Uh, Josh was not without value. He's he's really turned into something special on special teams. He's a great player. You can put him in there defensively. We saw him thrown in some really tough situations where he was coming up and being like the first guy in run defense. And and that's not that's not what he's built for. That's not what he's designed for. But he's a guy that will come and and give you everything he's got on every play. And I love seeing him at practice too, where he's like the you know he serves as the as the quarterback for the defense when um, when teams are split up and and the defense needs a needs a guy who can throw. Haggerty has got an arm, and so tip of the hat to Josh Haggerty. But I think John Haggerty probably wins this. He was he was the best punter in the league this year, and so I think we have to give the best Haggerty award to John Haggerty. Are you in agreement, JB? 
Yeah, I think it's John's year. Um, it's a prestigious award. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy to crown him best Haggerty. Um, oh, you know, funny, speaking of Haggerty, it did make me think of another choice that I had bandied about. Um, was for, the, for the Haggerty at, Award? No, no, oh. BD at defensive line. BD, like BD at practice is like all the guys, these guys are such elite athletes. If you've never been to an Argo practice, you've got to check one out. They're, they're generally open to fans to go and watch. Um, there's, they're so funny because these guys are so special as like just gifted athletes. They can all do things that just most human beings can't do. And so you'll see things like, um, like BD can, BD plays some quarterback he, he's out there playing corner on the scout team like the, the guys all do a bunch of different things and they all believe that they're cfl level at like every position um, but then occasionally you'll catch things like like earlier this year watching well, Quantas stiggers try and out jump everybody and standing long jump um and things like that it's just uh it's a pretty special group but yeah bd can bd can do it all he's he can actually throw um he will tell you he's a good corner i'm not so sure about that one but uh, yeah, he's yeah. He's I hope an I hope they're able athlete. to bring him back at a at a good rate. Me too. It's tough though, because because he counts as an American, which to me is maddening. Because he really should be a global. He should be anything else, anything but an American, right? Like uh, born in in France, uh, like school in in Canada. Like the the I I hate how that's set up. Uh, but yeah, that's just the way it is, and so it is a bit of a tougher one. If he were a global, um, man, the. The, the value there or a Canadian, the value there. It's a little tougher as an American, but he also showed he's a guy that can do both punting and kicking. Does yeah, I, someone... mean, I, mean, I mean, I know the coaches love having him there. I can't, I can't imagine that they don't, they don't bring him back because you don't want to go down that road of you do. trying guys out because it's, you know, it's just the worst. If you don't have an in-house replacement already, just, just pay the money and figure it out. And our last award of 2023 is the X's and Argos MVP. I decided to take this one literally and just look at who was the most valuable player on this team. And I think that's easy for me. It's Chad Kelly. I don't think there was a more valuable person. There are a lot of different ways we can take that award. And of course, there were there were guys that were, you know, had value in their own way or made our lives more interesting or what have you. But I think if you just go with the season that he had and uh, the numbers that he put up, the the plays that he made, the highlights that he produced, and if you'd taken any one guy off this team, the team would have, you know, would have been able to survive any other position, but not quarterback. Chad Kelly is my nominee for MVP. Where are you going, JB? Well, not to be too predictable, but uh, yeah, I, I go defensively here. Uh, I think that uh, you know, Chad Kelly had an amazing year. Um, you know, he was he was way beyond what we ever could have hoped from uh, a first year quarterback. We and, thought he'd be good, but we yeah, thought no, there, we, we just, thought there'd be games where we're like, "Whoa, man!" Like, yeah, thought to be a lot rock, a lot rockier. I thought I yeah. thought he played great and he made some great throws. But for me, over the course of the season, is Pickett. Uh, I think Pickett was just he so often led the team in tackles. Uh, he was all over the field. He he just led what I thought was by far the best defense in the league and a defense that was still elite in the Eastern final. Like it was this defense never gave up its elite title. It was it was an elite defense that uh, unfortunately um, 
didn't didn't get to finish the finish the game. But uh, you know, for me, uh, I think Pickett is the MVP. I thought he was the best player on the best defense in the league. And another guy that the Argos didn't have a replacement for, and we saw that as well. Like when he went down, there's just there wasn't an answer. And yeah, no, if if he doesn't it. play this year, uh, it's a totally different season because if their defense is not elite, it's it's a more kind of normal like 10, 11 win fight. Yeah. No. I. Yeah, I, I can't really argue with that. But I think maybe our solution is to go with a dual hyphenated award and <laughs> yeah, have often, both. As that. we've done Cow- that, yes, you and I, we've, we've done cowards. that before. Yeah, cowards, the, cowards, the cowardly, path. cowardly choice. But we'll do that. Chad Kelly and Adarius Pickett, the X's and Argos MVP for 2023. Well, JB, that will just about do it for us. Before we sign off, I just want to, we got a billion people to thank and obviously we're not going to be able to do everything, but I really want to thank our sponsors. Uh, They, something in the water brewing uh, stepped up this year and they were absolutely fantastic. Um, They, from the start of the season through the end of the season, not only do they brew great beer, they held great events that our listeners were able to go to. Um, It was just such a good time to be able to have a place too that we could go and hang out with our listeners pregame and and talk football, talk Argos football. Uh, They were spectacular and they don't close just because the season ends. So make sure you drop by something in the water brewing. They've got uh, some of their fall beer and their winter beer coming out as well. I love that they're continuously adding and trying stuff out and and bringing out the the curiosity in the beer drinker. And so make sure you check out X's and Argos. But yeah, everybody, you know, from our sponsors to our listeners and the Toronto Argonauts, the CFL, and all the other uh, writers and uh, and podcasters that have joined us in the press box as well and and made uh, our life so much more interesting, more fun and and helped us do what we do as well. Uh, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. It, it has meant a lot to us and we have had another fantastic season. JB, we've been through it all. We started this thing with a three win Argo team. We saw a season with nothing, no football at all. And then an Eastern final loss, a Grey Cup win and now a heartbreak uh, so we've got uh, a little bit of everything and we can only imagine what next year has in store. And thank you, JB. It has been a pleasure uh, doing this with you again this year. I really enjoy that, uh, it, you know, we we get to do this uh, and um, and sort of share the season together. So it has been fun. Yeah, it's great. I, I look forward to my uh, to my flight once I get out from uh, get out from feeling under the weather and being able to rejoin the public. I uh I look forward to enjoying those cold, refreshing uh, beverages. We'll have to photo document that somehow and, and <laughs> send that out on social we'll media. See what we can do about that. Well, that will do it for us on this season finale edition of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe.